All right, we're continuing today in week number four of this teaching series that we've been in. If you're just now joining us, we've been teaching a series entitled Life Hacks from the Book of Proverbs, where we're literally going back, looking at the book of Proverbs, seeing some of the wisdom that God gave to Solomon, as Solomon passed along to us, to help us live this life in a way that allows us to win. Now, I want to start off by reading this quote to you from a guy by the name of Robert Collier. And what he says is that success is the sum of our small efforts, repeated day in and day out. In other words, if you want to be successful, it's not the big things that we do. It's the little bitty things that we do on a day-to-day basis. But how many know the same thing could be said about failure? I mean, it's really the habits that we put forth daily that take us either to success or they can take us to failure. So if we find ourselves not liking the road that we're on, not liking the direction that we're headed in, how many know all we got to do is turn around? If the habits that I have is taking me in the wrong direction, all I have to do is turn around. There's a quote that is most times, uh, a definition is most times attributed to Albert Einstein, and it's the definition that he gave of insanity. And he said insanity means to keep doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. Come on, which means if I want to save money, I can't keep spending and spending and spending and praying to save some money. Whatever it is that I'm doing, if I want to see a different result, I'm going to have to do something different, which is why we are spending our time talking about some life hacks from the book of Proverbs. If you don't like the journey you're on now, or if there are areas of your life you want to see some change, or if you find yourself depressed or anxious or not happy about certain parts of your life, maybe it's because God has tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I got a life hack that can fix that if you just make a different decision. And so we want to take some time today to deal with a, a, a subject, a one-word subject that I believe touches and affects every one of us in here and everybody online. That's this word, pride. And in fact, the title of the message for the day is Pride, the Silent Killer. Proverbs chapter 16, as we dive into this, verse number 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness goes before a fall. It is better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. It's amazing that when we look at the book of Proverbs that I told you in week one is attributed primarily to King Solomon, who we describe as the wisest man to ever live. When you look at the book of Proverbs, it's got a whole lot to say about this issue of pride. And it's got a lot to say not only about pride, but telling us how to steer clear of pride. The definition we're using for pride is an excessively high opinion of oneself or exaggerated self-esteem or conceit. And the thing about pride, the reason why we call it the silent killer is because it's a whole lot like high blood pressure. I mean, when you look around a room like this, you can't tell who's got high blood pressure or not. I can't look at you and just read your forehead and tell, oh, your, your blood pressure, you look like you're about 158 over 85. You can't look at somebody and tell if they got high blood pressure, low blood pressure, just like you can't look at somebody and tell if they're walking in pride or humility. We can listen to the words coming out of somebody's mouth and we can make some assumptions, but some of the quietest people you've ever met are full of more pride than you could ever imagine. And so pride is one that you can't tell if somebody's walking in pride or not just by looking at them. And pride is also, listen, is no respecter of persons. Pride doesn't care if you're black or white, if you're tall or short. If you're older or younger, if you've been saved a long time or if you just got saved last week, pride will try to attach itself to anybody that opens themselves up for it. And the thing about pride is that if if pride is not addressed and properly dealt with, pride can allow an entire life to burn to the ground right around our feet. 
I mean, so, you know, some of you basketball fans, you know, witness this when Dylan Brooks from the Memphis Grizzlies, after winning game number two, decided that he wanted to get on television like he was a four-time all-star and talk about LeBron James. LeBron James. And he said about LeBron James, I don't have respect for him. He's just another player. He's old. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't give respect unless somebody drops 40 on me first. Well, that was when he was up here. And the Bible says pride goes right before the fall. And around game number six, not only did LeBron drop a whole lot of points, but the Lakers beat the Memphis Grizzlies by 40 points. <laughs> Dylan Brooks went home for the summer and was notified by the Memphis Grizzlies that under no circumstances do we have plans to bring you back. <laughs> Point I'm making is we can be on top in a, in a moment, but if we don't walk in some type of humility... The pride can end up putting us down to the ground and find out that we can end up messing up a whole lot of things going on in our life because the Bible says God resists the proud. In fact, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says it this way. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. How many know there's a whole message in that one phrase right there? Because the Bible says that if we are born-again believers, we ought to have fear of God. Don't mean that we're terrified of him, which means we ought to have a healthy respect for God. And the Bible says part of that respect for God or the fear of the Lord is that we hate evil. Hating evil means we don't pacify it. Come on, somebody. We don't justify it. Come on, somebody. We refuse to allow ourselves to participate in it, and we don't even just look the other way. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and most of us would think that after he says the fear of the Lord is hate evil, and he starts listing out the evil, if we were to take a poll around the room and say, what's the number one evil God's going to talk about? A lot of us would say fornication. That's got to be it. A lot of folks say drunkenness. He's got to talk about drunkenness. But the Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the first evil that he mentions is pride and arrogance. Think about it. Out of all the evils we can think of, the very first one he says, after he says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, he says God hates pride and arrogance. He hates the evil way. And the perverse mouth, God says, I hate. The very first thing that the Bible teaches us we ought to hate, we ought to not just dislike it, well, not just kind of try to stay away from it. The Bible says we ought to have a hatred for pride. And I believe because every other evil you can think of, the foundation of that evil really starts with a proud heart. And we got to be the kind of people that give God space to allow us to hate it, starting with hating it in our own thoughts. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hating it in our own actions, hating it in our own lives before we try to hate it anywhere else. So I want to start off today by just giving you some of the dangers of pride, which is why we want to stay away from it. Then I want to end today by teaching you how to deal with or how to overcome pride because all of us have the potential to be caught up in pride. The first danger of pride is that pride produces shame. Anytime pride shows up, Pride produces shame. Again, I just used the illustration of, a, of an NBA basketball player, but it's not just a shame, meaning you get shamed by other people. Even when we find ourselves being shamed or easily embarrassed, it has an element of pride to it. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes what? Come on, I can't hear you. When pride comes, then comes what? I still can't hear you. When pride comes, what comes next? Shame. But with the humble, the Bible says, is wisdom. It's something we ought to understand. Pride and shame are besties. Pride and shame hang out together. If pride comes into Rome, you can be sure somewhere close behind, within a short time after that, shame is going to show up. 
because pride and shame are best friends. Anytime we find ourselves embarrassing easily or we find ourselves struggling to really be honest and be ourselves around other people, it is because, hear me out, there's an element, a layer of pride that is hidden beneath the surface. When I first started in ministry many moons ago, 30 years ago, uh, actually June the 25th in two, two weeks from today will be 30 years from the day that I actually got ordained. So our team is doing, team is doing a few things to, to celebrate that. But 30 years ago when I first started in ministry, I was a, a 23-year-old little skinny kid. And, and uh, the, the month after I started ministry, married my wife. So the two of us have literally been our entire married life in full-time ministry. And when, when my pastor at the time, Bishop Keith A. Butler, brought me on the staff, it was a 5,000-member church way back then in Detroit. And I was a 23-year-old kid, the youngest thing on the entire staff. And he brought me on, I, I, you know, if I can say this someday, I was this kind of young little shooting star that, you know, I could communicate and had a lot of charisma. And he brought me on staff, and he gave me an opportunity to, to, to speak on a Sunday morning for the first time. And the first time I spoke on a Sunday morning, you know, folks, you know, saw this little skinny kid who was on the worship team, on the outreach team, and now I graduate Bible school, and I'm on stage preaching the Word. And folks were just kind of blown away. Oh, my goodness, Minister Davis. And there was kind of a, a buzz in the church about it. In fact, back then, we had these little things that after you preached the message, they recorded the message on this little device called a cassette tape. <laughs> now, some of you adults lean over and explain to the children what a cassette tape is. <laughs> And every time I would, he would put me up. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't every week because, you know, when you're an assistant pastor, you get a shot when the pastor's not there. So it might be every two months, three months, I'd get an opportunity to get up. But every time I would get up and have a chance to preach, the, 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 the word would spread. You know, Minister Davis is up today. And that they would come from the bookstore and tell me, and, and somebody would always get the word back to me, that my message kind of broke all the records of how many cassettes had been sold. They'd have a record of how the, the most cassettes that were ever sold in one service. And each time I would get up, they'd come, back, they'd come and say the, the record had been broken. Well, you know, I, I was smart enough to know, don't let them, you know, geek me up and, 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 and puff my head up. But I found myself, because after maybe three or four times of standing up and I'm preaching a really good message, because I had some good titles. I had a message called, How Long Can You Hang? Which means, is the devil going to wear you out or are you going to stand tough and can keep believing God? Then I had one message called, The Rope-A-Dope Resurrection Power of God in Me. <laughs> Woo! And I talked about how George Foreman had, had Muhammad Ali up against the ropes. And Muhammad Ali was just taking all those punches because he had a plan. And when George got tired, then Muhammad Ali came off the ropes with the rope-a-dope. And I said, just like you, the devil thinks he's got you up against the ropes. But it's time for you to come out with the rope-a-dope resurrection power of God. <laughs> and so after about three or four times of being up and, 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 and the crowd going wild and there's a buzz about that young minister Davis, I found myself, the next time I was having a chance to preach, I found myself getting ridiculously nervous. I don't mean a little nervous because after 30 years of preaching, I still get nervous. Every Sunday morning, I, my, my stomach has the butterflies Every, every Sunday before I come on stage, she, she, and it, it tickles April to no end because she's like, you preach to the same people every week. <laughs> but there's a healthy nervousness that I don't ever want to lose. I don't ever step up here and assume I got this and, and don't have to trust the Holy Spirit. But I'm not talking about a healthy nervousness. I'm talking about a debilitating nervousness. I'm talking about almost anxiety attack, can't, can't even get on stage. And the Lord had to speak to me to tell me that without realizing it was because I had gotten caught up in pride. 
I had gotten so addicted to knowing that Minister Davis did such a good job that the back of my mind was, well, what if I come up with a message and it's not the greatest in the world? And so I allowed myself to get overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with fear, and it was all tied to this fact that I let myself unknowingly get caught up in pride. The solution for me is I had to go back and remind myself, you didn't call yourself to ministry. (laughs) You're not the one who put yourself on the stage, and at the end of the day, unless the Lord is building the house, you're wasting your time up there anyway. And so God was able to fix it, but only because he was able to take me back and show me that the root of my shame was actually pride. The second danger of pride is that pride produces strife. Somebody shout strife. Strife. Proverbs 13 and 10 says, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well advised is wisdom. Proverbs 18, 25 says it this way. He who is of a proud heart stirs up what? Come on, I can't hear you. Who is of a proud heart stirs up what? Stirs up strife. That means that the person who's got a proud heart, their heart is puffed up with pride. Again, you can't see it on the outside. How do I know when there's somebody that is dealing with a whole lot of pride? Because if you follow their life, there's always some mess surrounding them. How do you know when somebody's heart is filled with pride? They might, the person might not even know themselves, but every time you find somebody that's always gossiping about somebody, every time you find somebody that's always complaining about something, Nothing is never up to their standard. They're never really happy about anything completely. They're always trying to get people to pick sides for them or against somebody else. The Bible says the only way that strife gets stirred up like that is if you get somebody who has gotten puffed up with pride. But the one who trusts in the Lord, the Bible says, will be prospered. Here's a quote for you. Find a strife-filled environment, and you will also have found a pride-filled environment. Finding an environment where there's a whole lot of fighting going on, a whole lot of backbiting going on, a whole lot of folks that don't get along on a regular basis, somewhere in there, I promise you, it's also an environment that's got a lot of pride going on. Now, old boy, your neighbor, tell them this is a really bad time for you to get quiet. (laughs) Elbow the one on the other side and said, the fact that you are so quiet, (laughs) tell them it could be pride. (laughs) See, anytime you get in an environment where there's a lot of fighting, a lot of backbiting, a lot of, because, because somebody's not willing to take the, the road of humility. This can happen in a, in a marriage, at a house. It can happen in a family environment. It can happen between siblings. Come on, talk to me, somebody. It can happen in a small group. Come on, it can happen in a workplace. It can happen in a church environment. But anytime you get a bunch of fighting and backbiting and jealousy and strife and I don't like them, I don't deal with them, I don't fool with them or something worse being said, it's because somebody or maybe several people have allowed their hearts to start thinking more highly of themselves than they actually should. See, pride makes people hold on to vendettas that they should have let go of a long time ago. Pride makes people feel justified. I don't deal with them. Well, who are you? What sun did you put in the sky to wake yourself up this morning? What moon are you going to fling into the sky? And and oxygen did you feed into yourself to, to last to get throughout the day? We can't even keep ourselves alive. So how prideful is it for us to take the position, I don't fool with them. Pride will make you hang on to a vendetta when you ought to just go ahead and let it go. See, pride makes people say stuff like this. I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they said that to me. 
They don't know who I am. They got the nerve. In almost 30 years of full-time ministry, I cannot tell you how many people I have counseled over the years. It's probably thousands at this point. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years, though, that knew that they were wrong but could not bring themselves to say, I'm sorry, because they didn't want to look like the weak one. I've seen people allow whole friendships to just dissipate because they could not humble themselves enough to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Or watch this, even if they weren't wrong, they, they couldn't bring themselves to fix the breach and be the more mature person because they didn't want to look like the weak person in the relationship. The story the Bible describes, I think it's over in the book of Numbers, I said, and, and, and it's, it's Moses. God has chosen Moses to be the leader of Israel. Moses didn't choose himself. You remember the story. Moses was trying to get out of it. God chose Moses to be the leader of Israel, to bring them out of Egypt. And as he's leading them through this wilderness, his brother and his sister... His sister's name was Miriam. His brother's name was Aaron. They get upset with him because he marries this Cushite woman. And there's all kind of stories or, or theories about what that meant, you know, uh, that, that she was a black woman and maybe he was not black. And, but either way, for whatever reason, he married somebody they didn't approve of. And instead of, watch this, minding their own business, letting this grown man be a grown man, Miriam has the audacity to start speaking evil against God's man. And the thing about it, I think it's a lesson we need to learn today because sometimes when I'm looking at Facebook and other social media, I'm amazed at how arrogant some people can be to put whole paragraphs together about somebody God chose. Even, watch this, if the person is wrong, it's not my job to fix them on social media. At the end of the day, everybody's got to stand before God and give an account to God for how they've carried out their stewardship. But arrogance will make a person think that they have the right to be judge, jury, and editor-in-chief. And end up having stuff to say. Miriam had a whole lot to say about Moses. She's talking about him. God, is he the only one God knows how to speak to? And see, she thought Moses couldn't hear because Moses wasn't around. But the problem is, even when the Moses in your life can't hear it, God does hear it. She woke up one day, and the Bible says she became leprous, white as snow, which means this hideous disease called leprosy hit her body. Not only did her skin change color, but she had, if you look up leprosy, these sores, I'm sure, broke out all over her body, pus oozing all over the place. And the irony of it is, the only person God would allow to pray for her to get her healed was her brother Moses. We have to learn how to have enough humility to keep our mouths shut. Third danger of pride is that pride can wreck God's beautiful plans if we let it. The Bible says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Thoughts of good, not evil, to give you a hope and a future. That's what God says. Pride can mess all that up. Proverbs 29 and 23 says, a man's pride, watch this, will bring him down. But he whose spirit is without pride will receive honor. When a person gets caught in pride, even if God had great plans for them, God had a great future for them, that pride, the Bible says, can bring a person down low. In fact, listen to this quote. Pride can cancel out your potential. It can cancel out the prophecy spoken over our life. It can cancel out all the privilege that we've been born into. But humility, here it is, will eventually produce promotion. 
Which means no matter how long you think you've been waiting, don't allow yourself to get caught in pride. Don't allow the devil to bait you with pride. Because if you remain humble, watch this, doesn't matter who doesn't like you, doesn't matter who's talking about you, doesn't matter what system is trying to keep you down. When God says it is time for your promotion, there's no man, woman, or devil in hell that can keep you down when God's favor is ready to lift you up. But if we get caught in pride, pride can bring us down low. See, the Bible and life are replete with examples of people who had a ton of potential, but they couldn't get out of their own way. See, just because God prophesies something over a person's life doesn't mean it's guaranteed to come to pass. If we allow pride to short-circuit what God had planned to do. All you got to do is go back to the story of King Saul. Saul had a whole lot of humility when he started. He started off so humble that when God was ready to anoint him and publicly declare him to be the new king over Israel, they're, they're, they're trying to have a little ceremony to make him king, and they can't even find him. And the Bible says, go back and read, the Bible says he was hiding in the back among the stuff. I can only imagine barrels of hay and supplies. He's in the back hiding because he don't think he's qualified to really be the leader of Israel. God's got to encourage him. You got this. I'm on your side. I'm going to speak through you. But then after a few years in a position, after a few years of people calling him king, after a few years of people waiting on him hand and foot, all of a sudden he stopped listening to God. All of a sudden, the guy who started off in so much humility stopped obeying God. God told him to completely destroy the Amalekites. And instead of completely destroying them, he decided to keep the best cows, keep the best oxen, keep the king alive, even though God told him to destroy them. And when God came to correct him, this is what God said. He said, back when you were little in your own eyes. <laughs> Come on, man. I would hate for God to show up to me and say, George, you know, back when you were little in your own eyes, back before you became a big shot in your own thinking, he said, back then I could work with you. But now that you become a big shot, in Saul's case, he stopped listening to God. That's one reason why the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3, 6, it says this, it says, do not, when it's, when it's talking about the qualifications to be a pastor or an overseer, it says, don't let that person that you're trying to put in charge be a novice. And a novice simply means that they're, they're too new to the things of God. They don't have experience yet to be put in that position of authority. It says don't let them be a novice because pride can end up kicking in. You know what we call it? The big head sets in. You ever seen somebody, they, they, they were cool before they got a title. Don't raise your hand in here because somebody may be sitting, maybe looking at you. <laughs> Come on, before they got a title, man, they'd be out there in the parking lot helping you clean the parking lot too. They pick up a piece of paper if they saw it, but once they got a title in front of them, they can't pick up the paper. They're looking to call somebody on the facilities team. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. See, what happens is when pride kicks in, pride makes us think more highly of ourselves than we actually should. That's why I'm grateful for my beginning. Because when I started as a 23-year-old kid, I knew God had big plans for me. And it was evident by the way God caused people to respond when I was ministering the word. But I thank God I had a pastor who knew how to raise up a young minister. And I remember my pastor saying this. Some of you will take this as harsh, but it was the right thing I needed to hear. I remember him taking me along with him on, on, a, on, a, on a funeral one time. I remember him taking me alongside to, to, as he's going to talk to some officials. And I remember him saying this to me, son, keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. Keep your eyes and ears open and keep your mouth shut. You know how many folks, you know, you know how many kids today would be in deep depression if somebody said that to them? <laughs> be ready to jump off a Danes Point Bridge because the man said, keep your mouth shut. 
is some of the best advice my pastor could have ever gave. Because what he was saying was, oh, you are anointed. There's no doubt the Lord is with you. But if you let yourself get puffed up thinking you know more than you actually know, you can end up messing up everything God has in store because pride will cause your whole life to come tumbling down. See, pride will cause a person to let their whole marriage or their family crumble because they're too prideful to come and get help with counseling. Pride will make you sit at home and your whole family is being destroyed. But your words, I don't want nobody to know my business. We don't know it anyway when your divorce is listed in the newspaper. And <laughs> See, pride will cause a person to lose a good job because they don't really value that job until it's too late. It was pride that caused Naaman, who was the captain of the Syrian army, a very well-known man, a very strong leader from what the Bible says, but he had a problem. He had leprosy, same disease I told you about. And, and I can imagine he got all these sores and boils bursting out all over his body. There was no cure for it, but word got out that there was a prophet in Israel who was used by God who could heal him of this leprosy. So the Bible says he showed up with a very great train. I imagine that means he showed up in all his royal garments. He showed up with his posse with him. And they showed up to the house of the prophet, and he didn't go to the front door himself. He sent his servant to go tell the prophet that Naaman is out here. Because he's, he's expecting the prophet to come out and go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> is that the Naaman? I've heard so much about you. But instead, the prophet sent his servant to the front door, and his servant said, the prophet said, go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and you'll be fine. True story, read it. The Bible says he went away enraged. Now, he said, he said he came there to be healed, but he wanted to be healed on his own terms. And see, God did for him what he a lot of times does for us. He'll fix our one problem and burst our pride problem at the same time. He said, I thought he would come out here and do something spectacular to heal this leper. And it took one of his servants to say, well, master, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Why not just do what he said to do? And he had to humble him. Well, he had to humble himself as this, this captain of the army had to humble himself and go dip in this dirty river seven times to be healed. Don't you know that the prophet could have, could have said, go show yourself to the priest. And as he went, he could have been healed. That's what Jesus did. Why didn't God use that method? Because it wasn't just a leprosy problem. It was a leprosy problem coupled with a pride problem. <laughs> and God's not willing to fix our leprosy and leave us stuck with all this pride. Remember, again, when I, when I was early in my ministry career, I was actually in Bible school. And I had left, some of you know my story, I left Michigan State. I left a mechanical engineering program. I was working for General Motors. And God ordered me to go home to Detroit to go to Bible school. So I'm, I'm obeying God. But I didn't plan for that, so all my money shifted. I was making good money in school working for General Motors. And so I had, I had bought myself this blue Maxima. It was a box. You remember the back the one? It was all box-shaped, man. It had a sunroof on it. I had this, 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 this little dob hat that I wore. I looked good when I was in that Maxima, man. I looked good. Now I'm in Bible school, and I can't afford my Maxima. And so, you know, you, know, you, you, kind of, you kind of stretch it out as long as you can. 
You try to make payments as long as you can. And I reached the point where I ain't got no more money. And so I'm, I had just learned enough about faith. So I'm driving down the street and I'm talking back to God. I'm reminding him of his word like they told me to. And saying, God, but you said you supply every need in my life according to your riches and glory. And God, you said that if I give, it'll be given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. I'm calling back to God. And I was in the middle of a verse. I said, God, you said, he interrupted me. He said, yeah, I did. But I never told you to buy that maximum. <laughs> then he said, and furthermore, I'm commanding you now to go and sell it right away. Now, herein lies the problem. I got to sell the maxima that I had already told people God had given to me as a blessing. <laughs> I had given my testimony. This is my testimony about my blue maxima. <laughs> I had already given my testimony about this car. Now God is telling me to sell it. Now, this is where, this is where either pride is going to kick in or humility is going to kick in. Pride is going to keep riding and trying to figure out a way. To keep it, watch this, so I can keep up the right look. Humility says, if God said to sell it, do what he said to do. I went immediately to the hardware store, bought me two for sale signs, put them in both windows. Now watch this, I got to drive to school, Bible school, the next day. And the car, all my classmates heard me say was a blessing from God. Now they got to see two for sale signs in the window. My pride is being busted. To make matters worse, when I finally got to bite somebody to buy my car, guess who bought it? It was Minister Miranda Jones, who's a part of our church. She was in my Bible school class with me. I was broke, but she wasn't broke. So my classmate <laughs> buys my car, and I got to watch her drive it to school every day and park right where I used to park it. Oh, ain't, you ain't heard the end of it yet. Because I got to sell my car quickly, the car I should have been driving that I had at home that needed some repair work, I got to get that one fixed. But while I'm getting that one fixed, I need a ride from school to work. Guess who works at the same place I work at? <laughs> Minister Miranda Jones. She volunteers to give me a ride to work every day. So now I get to ride in my car from school to work, but I'm in the passenger seat. I'm showing her how to work the stuff in the car I bought. <laughs> Somebody shout humility. humility. See, God was setting me up because I, he, there was something great he wanted to do in my life, but I got to deal with some pride stuff I don't even know I got going on. But let me tell you what that set me up for. See, that set me up. It wasn't just a car I couldn't afford to pay. I had an apartment that now I'm struggling to pay. Had light bill, I'm struggling to pay. And I had one of those months where I ended up with more month than money. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was a Friday. I remember driving home from work. And I'm trying to decide. My church was having an all-night prayer session that night. Our church all-night prayer minute started at 9 p.m. and went to 6 a.m. the next morning. We stayed in there all night praying the entire night. And so I'm trying to decide, do I go to prayer or do I stay at home and try to call as many people as I can to help put some money together to pay this rent? I decided I'm going to church, man. I didn't go into church, you know, with a sad look for somebody to say, what's wrong? I went to church. Nobody would have known that I am in, in, a, in a pickle, man. I need some money like tomorrow to take care of this rent. I'm about to get evicted. So I walk in and it's probably about two in the morning. 
My pastor stands up and he says, there's some people out here that you're in a financial crunch. I don't mean you just need some money. You're in a deep financial spot. And if, you, if God doesn't move right away, you're going to be in trouble. If that's you, stand up. Now, let me be honest. I'm in Bible school. I'm on the praise team. People are starting to know my name. So the pride in me, even though I have a deep need, the pride wanted to stay seated. But I know he, God is talking to me, so I stand up. And now I'm looking around. There's probably about 25 of us standing up. Then he says, he says, all of you that are stand up, step out in the aisle and come down here to the front. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> now I got to walk down to the front, my Bible school self. Walk down to the front. Get down to the front. I'm thinking he's going to pray for us. And then he says, all right, you all up at the front. He gives us some instructions. He says, now I want you to turn around and face the audience. I'm like, that's a weird way to pray for us. <laughs> Facing that way. So we turn around. Then he says, ushers, put a bucket in each one of their hands. Now I could have slid under the carpet because I know what he's getting ready to do now. Now pride is kicking in. I need the money, but I don't want to be a charity case. I wanted an anonymous check in the mail. (laughs) I wanted the IRS to have forgotten my taxes or something. (laughs) Now I stand up at the front of the church, and I'm standing here, sweat is pouring down. I'm so embarrassed. Second-year Bible school student, no money. God's got me at the front of this church. Then he says to the audience, I said, he said, I want you to be led by God and come get money out of your pockets. Come and fill which, put money in whichever bucket the Lord tells you to. People get up from all over the room, start coming up, putting money. He says, and I want the band, play some, play some dancing music. And so they playing some music, and I'm standing there so embarrassed. Oh, my God. Um, you know, people I know, it's going to be, it's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, people, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And they shouting up there. And I'm standing there like this. I'm so embarrassed. Then money start going in that bucket and I start looking down there. I'm like, it ain't that bad. <laughs> Before you know it, I'll look to like. <laughs> By the time they were done, true story, I got the exact amount I needed for all of my bills plus the tithe on top of it. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Could God have sent me a check in the mail anonymously? You better believe he could. But God was trying to fix not only my financial problem, he was trying to fix a pride problem I didn't even know I had. God sometimes will take you through a process to bust your pride, not because he's trying to embarrass you or hurt you. He's trying to bring you down low intentionally before life and pride brings you down accidentally. Come on, you still there? Real quick, let me give you these ways to deal with pride. Number one, you got to look in the mirror for real, for real. Look in the mirror for real, for real. Proverbs 12, 3 says, for by the grace, the unmarried favor of God given to me, I warn everyone among you, stop estimating and thinking of yourself more highly than what you should. Don't have an exaggerated opinion of your own importance, but rate your ability with sober judgment Each according to the degree of faith has been apportioned by God to you. In other words, we've got to have a high opinion of ourselves, but it should be based on what Jesus did for us, not based on what we've done for ourselves. 
The Bible says this in Psalm 103 that the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves we are dust. We're expensive dust, but we're still dust. We're blood-bought dust, but we are still dust. Second thing we got to do is get comfortable in your own skin. Get comfortable in your own skin. 1 Peter 5 says, you who are younger got to follow your leaders. But all of you, leaders and followers are like, watch this, you're supposed to be down to earth with each other. Why? Because God has had it with a proud, but he takes delight in just plain people. So be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you and he is going to promote you at just the right time. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying get comfortable with who you are. Get comfortable with how you are. Get comfortable with what you have to offer. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You are literally in a one-person race, and your only competition is your own self. The only person you're competing against is, what did God actually call me to do, and what am I actually doing in life? Competing with yourself. I heard this, this quote. I, I couldn't find out who the author is, but it says, don't compare yourself to others. There is no comparison between the sun and the moon. They both shine when it's their right time. Come on, that's good. <laughs> hmm? Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Third thing you got to do is lose your reputation. Lose your reputation. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself, watch this, of no reputation. If you look that up, it literally, it literally translates this way. He emptied himself of all of his privileges. He made himself of no reputation. See, amazing things can happen when we stop trying to live up to a reputation and we stop feeling like somebody, like we're entitled, like somebody owes us something. See, the reason why Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, was able to get down on his knees and do a servant's job and wash the feet of his disciples because he didn't, he didn't have a reputation to uphold. I can't tell you how many people that I have talked to that can't forgive even though they know they should forgive somebody because they, they, they're known as hard. They don't want nobody to think that they're not hard anymore. I can tell you how many people I've talked to that won't tell somebody about an illness that they're going through, a serious illness. They don't want anybody to know their business. They don't want to look like they don't have faith. See, there's a place for having some privacy. I'm not saying you got to tell everybody your business. You don't have to post it on social media. But if you find yourself up against a serious illness, hear me out. Don't sit and die because you're trying to handle it all by yourself. And won't tell some prayer partners. I promise you, if I get hit with something for real, there are some people I'm telling, starting with my staff. There are people I need. They, my team knows how to pray. I ain't got time to be trying to look good in somebody's eyes. Just because you get hit with a sickness don't mean you've done something wrong. It could mean you're doing so much right that the devil has gotten terrified of you, and he's trying to come at you. But pride will make you try to keep it to yourself. Can I, can I just say this to this, this younger generation? Hear me out. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Hear me out. Nobody owes you anything. I think we live in probably the most entitled generation in the history of the world. I do. And I'm not saying it's your fault. It's the fault of us parents for allowing this generation to think that the world owes you something on a silver platter. Nobody owes you anything. 
Your parents have a legal responsibility to put shelter and over your head and food in your stomach, some clothes on your back until you get 18. But once you cross that threshold, hear me out. Don't walk around like somebody owes you something. Because you'll get a whole lot further with people when you demonstrate some gratitude. When you, there'll be a lot more favor on you. And people will be lining up trying to help you when you demonstrate some humility with gratitude. Instead of walking around like you got every answer to every problem in the world and broke. It's entitlement that makes adults, whether you're 18 or 78, it's entitlement that makes us think somebody owes us something. The government don't owe you anything. Stop sitting around waiting on the government to ride in on a white horse. Stop waiting on your favorite Democrat to be elected or your favorite Republican to be elected, thinking your whole life's going to change. You've sat through Republicans and Democrats, and your life is no different with either one of them in the White House. You know why? It doesn't matter so much who's in the White House. What matters is who's on the throne. Last thing I'll leave you with is this. We had to learn how to live a life of worship. See, something about worship, worship literally means to kiss the hand like a dog licking its master's hand. And worship exalts God and simultaneously lowers us. That's why it is impossible to be a heartfelt worshiper and simultaneously puffed up with pride. Because as God increases, it naturally causes us to decrease. That's why, hear me out, that's why if you find somebody who struggles to enter into worship, it's a pride thing, man. Too cool to lift my hands. But watch this. Let something difficult hit your family, and all of a sudden we want God to step in and fix it. But while you still have strength and breath in your body, why don't we humble ourselves enough to give him what he deserves, man? He deserves worship. Who am I to keep my hands down when he deserves for me to lift them up? See, lifting my hands is a sign of surrender. What I'm really saying is, God, I'm done fighting you. I'm done trying to be you. I'm done trying to override your principles and outthink you. And I'm really just surrendering and giving my life all the way over to you. So if that's you today, lift up your hands right there where you are. Come on, lift them up, lift them up. Come on, lift them up. Father, we bless you. Come on, we bless you. Come on, we bless you. Hey, yeah. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing.
of what the world says. Great are you, Lord. You're the reason why we live. You're great. Great are you, Lord. One more time, every breath. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Say this out loud. Dear God in heaven, I make this commitment. Pride has no place in me. So I bow down low and I surrender to you. You are the superstar. You have all the answers. Your way is right. No matter what I think about it, no matter how I feel about it, no matter what the world says about it, you are right. And humility tells me to bow down to your way. So no longer will I stand puffed up with pride because I know that will bring me down low. But I choose to stay up high with you and give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give him a shout if you believe that. That's good. Come on. Great are you, Lord. All right, I'm over my time, so every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. Please don't leave out unless you're part of our team that's heading out. Give me about two minutes, three minutes, and we'll have you out of here. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. It's not next week. See, pride says I'll do it next week. That assumes that I'm going to control my life for the next seven days. What we know we can count on is the breath in our body right now. So if you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down here to the front, right there at your seat or right there online. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. But if you mean this prayer with all your heart, God will save you. That means he'll make you brand new on the inside. And then he'll take you by the hand and teach you step by step how to change any habits he wants you to fix on the outside. Don't even worry about the habits. Don't even worry about what you think you're doing wrong. Come to him just like you are. Fall down and surrender to him. Let him take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you know you're not saved, but today you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus, when I get to three, be courageous and lift up your hand real high. If you know you're not saved, don't look around. When I get to three, just lift up your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and God's going to meet you right there where you are. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift up that hand. Thank you. See that hand there? Hands there. Hands there. All over the room. Hands are going up. Help me out, ushers. Count those hands. We see your hand. We see those hands. Beautiful hands there. Hands there. Hands there. I love it. All over the room. Thank you. Young person, thank you. Another hand right there. Hands there. Hands there. Beautiful. If you're online, you can raise your hand right there at home, wherever you happen to be. Anybody else ready to say yes to Jesus today? Just shoot your hand up. I'm not going to call you to the front. Actually, once you raise your hand, you can put it back down. I just want heaven to acknowledge it. You said yes to God today. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact Church.